We are in Genesis chapter 1, and we are in our fourth teaching of Genesis chapter 1. And already, since I post these messages on the internet, I have people all over the world emailing me about their opinions on the book of Genesis chapter 1. So remember I told you it's probably the most read chapter. It's the the most read book in the world and the most read portion in the world. I can't think of another document which has been read more than Genesis chapter 1. And lots of people have very different opinions on Genesis chapter 1. And I'm not here to change any one of you. I'm not trying to convert you from your positions at all on this. And... uh, um, so, so uh, uh, for those of you who are going to hear this on the internet, once I get it posted, uh, I know you have very strong opinions about this and that, that your pastor does it right and you want me to listen to your favorite YouTube message, uh, but I just can't listen to them all because there's just not enough hours in the day to keep up with them, all the requests of things that I listen to or all the books that I read that, that get it right because I'm not getting this thing right. All right, Genesis chapter 1. We had talked about already in the, in the first three times that we had talked about this, how God created the heavens and the earth in chapter 1. That verse, that, 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 that verse in, in, that word in chapter 1, verse 1, there's a word, bara, created, is only used in three different verses in this chapter. He created the heavens and the earth, and then the earth was formless and void. So there's some period there. There's a break in the natural reading of this in the Hebrew, the Hebrew scholars tell us, and that there's a period where the earth was was void. But we know from what we've read in the other prophets, in Isaiah and Ezekiel in, in particular, that the earth was created in total glory. There, it was not created void, but it became void. And then we read how there's this portion in Ezekiel which, which shows how, Ezekiel, how uh, uh, Satan was thrown down to earth. And it is presumed that that is the period of voidness in verse 2. And then God is reconstituting the earth in verse 3. Reconstituting the earth. And there he's not using the word, uh, uh, the, the, that word for, for bara, which is this ex nihilo like creation from nothing. He is, it, it, everything now is brought forth, brought forth, brought forth. And so now God is bringing forth things, except when he talks in verse, verse, verse uh, uh, 21, the animal kingdom, that that was created, and then, and then in verse 26, again, the creation of human beings. So let's pick it up again in verse 3. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light, and God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning, one day. Then God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let us separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters which were below the expanse from the waters which were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning, a second day. Then God said, let the waters below the heavens be gathered into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth and the, and the gathering of the waters he called the seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees on the earth, bearing fruit after their kind 
with seed in them. And the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed after their kind, and trees bearing fruit with seed in them after their kind. And God saw that it was good. There was evening, there was morning, a third day. So that's the first three days of this reconstitution of, of the earth. And so now God is, 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 is saying in verse 3, let there, God, let there be light. Now, does that mean that God has created the sun? No, that's not going to be until day four. Let there be light. Some people feel that this is the Shekinah glory, the light of God. And others feel it's just that God removed that, that dense, thick cloud covering or dirt covering that was over the earth, that it happened, that it occurred after Satan was thrown down to earth. If you're a scientist, you believe that, that if you go by the current science, remember last week we talked all about scientific quote-unquote facts. And this is about the only thing that I have authority to speak on is, is scientific facts in natural science. And, and so how the facts have varied. Every 30, 50, or 100 years, the facts change dramatically. So they weren't facts, they were theories. Everything we have from this time is a theory. Everything, because nobody was there. We can't go back and measure it. So these are theories, not facts. And that's why they keep on changing. So the current theory now is that the dinosaurs were wiped out. Remember, they lived between 60 and 100 million years ago. The dinosaurs were wiped out due to a, a meteorite that hit in the Yucatan Peninsula, meteorite predominantly of iridium. That's why iridium is not within the earth. Iridium is only on the earth crust, spread throughout the earth from that hit, which was two million times stronger than any nuclear blast that has ever been made by humankind. And that was supposed to have blackened the earth with this covering, and everything died very quickly after that because there was no light that could get in. That's the scientific theory. So if, that's, if you like science and science for you is the way it is, that's the current going explanation. In a few years, that's going to change and you can change with it. But, but right now, that's what it is. But, there's, but maybe he just removed that covering and now all of a sudden there is light. Again, you can't tell from the context of this which one of these things is right. You can't tell from the context of this. And, and then, then he separates the earth from the waters below and the waters that are above. And we see that in verse 7. So he has the atmosphere above, the waters that are below. He separated those things. Maybe there was a layer in between. We can't get that from the text. That becomes relevant as we get into chapter 2. But, but in, the, in the second day is the only day that he ends without saying that it was good. So each day, just before it ends, he says, and it was good. But not in the second day, because he says it twice in the third day, because he didn't complete his works of that second day work until day three. So in day three, he calls together the waters on one side and the land masses on the other. And it says the waters are on one side, land was on the other. So one might think that that was before the continental separations that we, that we now see. But again, we don't know for sure from the context. So if you want to dig your heels and say, I know absolutely good for you, I'm glad you know. Most people can't tell from the context and be sure about these things. And then he, he, says, he says in verse 11, he said, I'm sorry, in verse 10, at the end of verse 10, he says, and God saw and it was good. So that's in the middle of day three, he finished the work from day two and then he said it was good. And then he says, and let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seeds. So in other words, he does not use this word bara, 
which is this created ex nihilo, from nothing. He says, let it sprout forth as if seeds were already in the earth, but it was covered now with waters. He has now brought up, brought down the waters. The earth is piled up and now the earth is exposed to the atmosphere and these things start sprouting forth. That's what it sounds like. That's what it sounds like because he says, let the earth sprout vegetation. And in fact, in the Hebrew, it's let the grass grass. Let the grass grass. We don't use that sort of word construction in English very much, but we do once in a while. For example, we'll say dance a dance, dance a dance. And so, so that's as close as we get to it, where you say what you are inherently there to do, do. That's how emphatic it is. God says, let grass grass. And so it's, it's translated into English. Let the earth sprout vegetation. And then it says, and plants yielding seed and fruit trees on the earth, bearing fruit after their kind with seed in them. And it was so. So if you're a creationist, you will believe that God spoke this and these things started happen, happening. Now, there are many fine believers who are not creationists. Or if you believe that God spoke and this happened, God spoke and, and the, the, these things gradually created. That's called, in these days, it's called pro progressive creationism. So you're a progressive creationist. Now, I know that there's many Christians that don't like the adjective progressive being put in front of anything that they are. But, but that's, that's the, the current terminology. Or you might be a theistic evolutionist, meaning that for you, evolution is the way to go. But remember, we talked about last time the morphing definition of evolution, Darwinian evolution, was random mutagenesis and natural selection, and that is now totally changed. It is no longer random mutagenesis and natural selection. Right now, evolution is neutral drift, which is the small changes that occur between child and, and between parent to child, the grandchild, and so on. Neutral drift plus the mechanisms behind universal common descent. That is what evolution is. So, again. The theories, which people say are facts, they're not facts. The theories change. You can listen to last week's message if you missed that. But if, you're, if you are a theistic evolutionist, that you believe God set this thing in motion, he kicked the ball off, he programmed it to do this, and then these things evolved, you can see how people might get that from the context of this because it says, uh, uh, let, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees on the earth uh, bearing fruit after their kind and seed in them. And it was so the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed after their kind. The earth brought it forth. In other words, sort of a gradual progression. So you could see how people would get that. The huge difference is, is some that, that believe that each one of these days are 24-hour days and others who believe that each one of these days are long periods of time, hundreds of millions or billions of years between each one of these days. And I'll tell you, Christians will go, go boom, they, they will fight over this thing. And that's most of what I'm getting from the internet chatter, that, that they don't know where I stand on this, so I'm getting attacked from both sides, right? So remember, I'm not trying to convert anybody. I'm just saying, look at the context I can understand how people might read this either way. Now, these days, this word day in, in Hebrew is yom, 
And, and, and this word yom is used in other ways, like the day of the Lord. Behold, today is the day of salvation, or it is the day of the Lord. So in other words, there are times when the word day can mean a much longer period. Now that longer period has never meant billions of years, or millions of years, or hundreds of millions of years. Nonetheless, it was not exclusively reserved for a 24-hour day, although... Anytime it is used with a number, it is always referred to as a 24-hour day. And in every one of these cases, the word yom is used with a number. Day one, the second day, the third day. So you can see how people might latch on to this and say, these are 24-hour days. Okay, I'll give you that God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void, and so there was some period of time there, and maybe that's where you throw the dinosaurs into or something. But remember, even then, we talked about last week, soft matter. Soft matter is collagen, it's proteins that they're finding in dinosaur bones, in dinosaur remains. Soft matter, remember, these guys are supposed to have died off 60 million years ago, and you're finding soft matter. Double take for scientists was discovered about 10 years ago by a, by a woman scientist at, at uh, North Carolina State. Lots of people doubted her. Now, lots of people are finding it. How do you get soft matter, organic material, collagen, which is proteins, how do you get that lasting 60 million years? Maybe we're off on some of these dates. Maybe we're not. Maybe it just, it, it lasts. You know? Behold the mysteries, new things. All right, science morphs. Because all of these are theories. Remember, there are plenty of facts in science. H2O was always going to be two hydrogens and an oxygen. Always. And, and, and uh, uh, the hydrogen atom will always have one electron in it. And, and one proton. It will always have one proton. Now you can force in another electron. But the protons are always going to be one. Because if it had two, it's not hydrogen. It's, it's helium. So there are things that are facts that are going to remain. Alright. So, so you see here that people could read the same text and come away with two different views on this. This is what I want you to begin to think about. The same text with two different views. And we have to be careful about judging one another on this because lots of people are beginning to judge me on this. And so let me read you this verse in Romans chapter 14, verse 4. Romans 14, verse 4 addresses just this. It says, Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. So we have to be careful about judging our brothers in Christ, or our sisters in Christ, because they answer to him. We are servants of his. Who are you to judge the servant of of another? Before his own master he stands or falls, and stand he will, because Christ is able to make him stand. Because remember, salvation is based in Romans chapter 10, verse 9. Salvation is based on our belief that Jesus is Lord and that our confession that Jesus is Lord and our belief in his physical resurrection from the dead. And then you shall be saved, it says. It never says you have to believe in Adam and Eve or the creation story or any of that. Salvation is based on Jesus Christ. Are we willing to proclaim Him as as Lord and believe that He's risen from the dead? That's in Romans 10.9 what salvation is based upon. On that we stand or fall. Not on this. 
People have different views on it. And remember, those that take this word these days as literal 24-hour days feel that it is heresy to believe anything different than that. And okay, I'm cool with that. You want to feel it's heresy? Fine. But don't judge your brother. And there are those that feel that there's no way that this is 24-hour days because it says the earth is bringing it forth. In other words, this kind of takes time for seedling to come up. For these things to fill the earth. So it kind of takes more than 24 hours, you know? Or else, maybe since God's in the business of speaking at this time, he says, do it quickly. (laughs) Maybe he does. I don't know. I don't know. But there's a lot we don't know from this passage. You see what I'm saying? There's a lot we don't know. He's left it unclear. Why didn't he just tell us? Why Why didn't he talk about genetics? Just DNA. I don't know, because maybe the people wouldn't understand it before the 1950s. People had no idea about this. Maybe that's why. He speaks about genealogies, not about genetics. And we always want to fit genetics into this whole thing. Did you know until this year, until this year, geneticists felt there could never have been a single breeding pair, in other words, an Adam and Eve, that had the diversification to give the diversity of, of, of genetic information in all of human beings. They thought it had to come from like a dozen breeding pairs or something like that. Until this year, until 2018, there's a theory put forth, no, that it could have come from a single breeding pair. Genetics is showing this now. If from that genetic pair, people outside the garden, say a Neanderthal, or other humanoids outside the garden that were not of a divine, uh, 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 not of that divine line, that there was breeding into, there was mixing with them. You say, that's kind of crazy. No, it's, it's actually not really crazy. In fact, there are people today that have segments of Neanderthal DNA in them. How did that happen? Well, it's called interbreeding. I mean, these were human-like species but that they didn't have the endowment of, of, of symbolism as we have, the advanced language, the mathematics. And so if you interbreed with them, you get some of that DNA going into the human line. And there is, you do see that sort of thing being talked about even in the scriptures, which we'll get to later in the book of Genesis. But then geneticists say, then you could have had a, a single breeding pair. So in other words, that just happened this year. So science is constantly changing. So if you want to say, science is what defines it. That's a Bible. No, the Bible is defined. The Bible doesn't change. It's the science which is changing all the time. So for you great scientists out there, just enlightening you. So in... in uh, In verse 13, then there was evening and there was morning a third day. Then God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. And let them be for lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light on earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He made the stars also. God placed them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth and to govern the day and the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. There was evening and there was morning a fourth day. 
Now remember, there was evening and there was morning before the sun manifest itself. How'd you have evening and morning? I thought there was the Shekinah glory. Well, I don't know. Maybe it went behind a cloud or something. You don't know. But it could well be. I was, so, so two weeks ago, I was in India. And in the city, in Pune, in the city of Pune in India, I never saw the sun. It was 103 to 104 degrees Fahrenheit every day. I never saw the sun for the entire week that I was there. You go like, huh? I never saw the sun. There was so much smog in the air, I never saw the sun. Now, it was light during the day and it was dark during the night, but I never saw the sun. Now, that is a burgeoning country. It's a beautiful, fine country, the, the sweetest people in the world. I was treated so well by them, they, took, they, they treated me like a king. I mean, they took care of everything for me. The sweetest, nicest, most hospitable people in the world. And I got home and I was just, I was just basking in the care that I had. And Shireen hands me the kitchen trash and says, take it out. <laughs> so the, these are fine people. But they're in a phase in their country where they have ter- terrific smog. If you went to Los Angeles in the 1970s, it was just like that. You couldn't see the sun. That we can look out and we can see clouds in the sky and we can see the sun is not the case in many cities. You go to Beijing, it's like you don't see the sun. Now, God may well have just cleared away that atmosphere now. So there was light and darkness, but now, boom, all of a sudden you start seeing the sun and the moon and the stars. That kind of makes sense within the context of what you see. Now, I can't discount, maybe it was the Shekinah glory which was there for the first three days. And now all of a sudden he brings the sun in the sky. Now, how do you have a day without a sun? How do you have a day? How do you define this? But it does make sense that if God now clears away the atmosphere, and remember, this is the only planet that we know of where you can stand on the planet and look up and see the stars at night and see the sun during the day. Because every other planet that human beings have identified has an atmosphere over it that you can't see the sun and you can't see the stars at night. We have been blessed. Well, go figure. God put us on a planet where we could see all that. I'm glad he didn't put us on one of those other planets. We get to see all that. Because God allows our atmosphere to clear away. Now, sometimes clouds come in and we can't see the sun we can't see the stars. But by and large, he clears these things away and go, whoa, that's pretty up there. Blue sky. I never saw the blue sky when I was in India. Sure, above that atmosphere, it was blue. You go up in the airplane, it's blue. But from Pune, the city, you couldn't see it. So he reveals this. What's interesting here, if, if, if for example... Um, You go back in in verse 10, it says, God called the dry land earth. So remember, God has naming rights. It used to be chemists had naming rights. You make a new compound, you could name it. You could name it after your wife or after your child or something. You could name it whatever you wanted to. Then they started finding that there's a whole lot of compounds out there. So they came up with systematic IUPAC naming, you know, how how, how you call things. So you're not allowed to name things that way anymore. 
But God had naming rights. Guess what he didn't name? He didn't name the sun and the moon. He made them lights and he never said, and that's the sun and he named that the sun and he named that the moon. Never said that. He has naming rights. He never named them. He says in verse 14, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day and the night and let them be for signs, for seasons, for days and for years. So they knew at that time there were seasons, days and years. And it's based on arguments like this that people will say, so this couldn't have been billions of years because he's referencing Seasons, days, years here. So that they're understanding that there's this sequence of things where you go on a, on, on a recurring path every 365 and a quarter days. And there's seasons where seasons come and seasons go that change throughout the year. And let them be for lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day, the lesser light to govern the night, and he made the stars also. But he never named the moon and the stars. Why do you think that is? Well, maybe it's because he knew people had a tendency to worship those things. He put them on day four, never gave them preeminence, never. And he doesn't even name them. He just says the greater light and the lesser light. Because we have a tendency to want to worship things. And that's why he warns us about this. Turn to Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter, chapter 4. Deuteronomy chapter 4. And we're going to look at verse 15. Deuteronomy 4.15. God is warning the Israelites... So watch yourselves carefully, since you did not see any form on the day the Lord spoke to you at Horeb from the midst of the fire, so that you do not act corruptly and make a graven image for yourself in the form of any figure, the likeness of male or female, the likeness of any animal that is on the earth, the likeness of any winged bird that flies in the sky, the likeness of anything that creeps on the ground, the likeness of any fish that is in the water below the earth. And beware not to lift up your eyes to heaven and see the sun and the moon and the stars and all the host of heaven and be drawn away and worship them and serve them. Those which the Lord your God has allotted to all peoples under the whole heaven. God does not give them preeminence. And he says, be careful that you don't start worshiping them. So in our society, you're like, eh, we don't worship those. <laughs> well, every other society in history has. Big, big problem for people about worshiping creation rather than the creator. All right, big problem. Maybe that's why he does it this way. You know, what's interesting is he, he, he talks about these days and he talks about seasons and he talks about years. Then he sets things up in weeks. You know, he creates things in six days, and on the seventh day he rested. We, a week is an unnatural sort of division. He sets things up in weeks. It's, it's just an interesting thought about, about that. And then let's look at verse 20. Then God said, let the waters 
then teem with swarms of living creatures and let the birds fly above the earth in the open expanse of the heavens. And God created, there's that word bara, God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarmed after their kind and every winged bird after its kind. And God saw that it was good. It's here, it's in verse 21 that this is this ex nihilo, this Creating from nothing. This word bara. He comes with this word. So remember, that was, that was uh, um, up in verse 1 when God created the heavens and the earth. Here's the second use of it. So God is creating now. Everything else either appeared or it seemed to come forth from what was already there. But here, he now creates the quote-unquote animal kingdom. And by animal kingdom, I mean including birds and including insects. Here he creates all of this. Is, is, this is this, this word created. Except man, except humankind. God created the, the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarmed after their kind and every winged bird after its kind. And God saw that it was good. So even though he's going to finish his creation, this is day five, he's going to finish creating the animal kingdom on day six. He called it forth bara on right there in verse 21. And in verse 22, God blessed them. That's the first indication we have in all the scripture of God pronouncing a blessing. First indication. And God blessed them. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. You want to be blessed of God? I do. It's a big deal. First time he proclaims blessing. God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the sea and let the birds multiply on the earth. God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply. So he didn't say, hey animals, if you feel like it, be fruitful and multiply. He said, be fruitful and multiply. God commands it, it has to happen. Every word in this book is true. His word is proclaimed, it has to happen. Heaven and earth separate at the command of his word. It has to happen. When he told them to be fruitful and multiply, they had to. When he told them to fill the earth, he goes, no, the waters are kind of warm over here. Well, I want to stay over here. He says, entropy. You know, just proclaims it. Bam. Scatter them. Fill it. Fill the earth. All you animals, you can't just stay here. You're just going to have to fill the earth. When he says it, it has to happen. This is a big deal. His first proclamation commanding creatures. He blessed them and he blessed them by commanding them to do things. Did you know God's commandments are a blessing? His commandments are a blessing. He's like, you know, it's always bossing me around. No, these are a blessing. They keep us from going about our own devices. Those are wicked. Those will really destroy us as our own devices. God's Blessing often comes in the form of a commandment. It's God's blessing. God proclaims these things and there is a blessing. When God speaks that adultery is wrong, that is a blessing. Why are you restricting me? No, that is a blessing. When God gives us a command, it's a blessing. He's blessing the animal kingdom here. 
And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the sea and the birds multiply on earth. There was evening and there was morning a fifth day. Then God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind, cattle and creeping things and beasts of the earth after their kind. And it was so. But you see he already in verse 21, He created all the creatures. He did the act of creation was in verse 21 on the fifth day and he's completing it now on the sixth day with more creatures. So you see why some people will look at this and say, obviously God is the creator. This is progressive creationism. God has progressively created new things. And I understand. That's exactly what it looks like. God is progressively creating acts of creation. And other people see in this same portion, good people, fine people, see in the same portion, evolution occurring, a theistic evolution, a God-endowed evolution of these things, living creatures after their kind. They say, that's the signal? He's saying it's after their kind. So you have one and then it's changing and changing after their kind and so, so creationists will say, well, you, 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 never see, you never see speciation change. Yeah, that used to be the case. But that's no longer the case. It's seen in plants now all the time. Just wasn't able to figure it out before. Plants can spontaneously, it doesn't happen all the time, but occasionally, a, splant, a plant will spontaneously double its DNA. Double. That is now a new species. So when you say, well, there are no new species ever forming, that used to be the case. (laughs) But science has changed. We see new species among plants through a doubling of the DNA. Verse 25, God made the beasts of the earth after their kind and the cattle after their kind and everything that creeps on the ground after its kind. And God saw that it was good. Again, he proclaims its goodness. So, remember what we talked about here. Remember what we talked about. That the same fine people read this same portion and they come down on two separate sides of this. You have among fine believers, theistic evolutionists who believe that all this occurred gradually over time. And, but God is the one behind it. He set the prescription for it. Origin of life, no scientist knows where that came from. In fact, you know, lest you think that, that I am a, a lone voice crying out in the wilderness, that we are clueless on the origin of life. So I've written several papers on this. And, and uh, uh, my third paper is calling for a moratorium. It hasn't yet published. It's calling for a moratorium on funding for, for uh, uh, origin of life research because we're so far off. We have no idea where the information code came from, let alone where all the amino acids and proteins and, and nucleic acids and lipids come from. And you say, well, you can take an arc and you can get a few amino acids. Yeah, they're all racemic and, and they don't hook together. Big problem. How do you create a cell out of this? But in any case, let me read you an article from a, 19, a 2018, a paper that just came out. In, in fact, it came out... In August of 2018, huh? Because this is actually the web edition. So it, it's gonna come out in August of 2018. But this is how new it is. This, this article has 34 authors 
across 13 different countries. So I'm not the lone voice anymore. Listen what these authors write. And this is in the journal, this is in the journal Progress in Biophysics and Molecular Biology. It's not in Christian creation research, all right? And it's entitled Cause of Cambrian Explosion, Terrestrial or Cosmic. And here's one paragraph from that article. The tra- quote, the transformation of an ensemble of appropriately chosen biological monomers, for example, amino acids and nucleotides, into a primitive living cell capable of further evolution appears to require overcoming an information hurdle of super astronomical proportions, an event that could not have happened within the time frame of the Earth except, we believe, as a miracle. All laboratory experiments attempting to simulate such an event have so far led to dismal failure. All right? We have no idea of the origin of life. No idea. We are all clueless on that. So, so whether you're a theistic evolutionist or you're a progressive creationist, the origin of life, we all agree. We have no idea where it came from. And if you want to invoke God because you're a God believer... That's terrific. I invoke God on that all the time. Now, that's not to say that someday science will not give us an explanation for, for this. But that doesn't, that doesn't take anything away from God. So before the 1950s, do you think that when, when Watson Crick came with the structure of DNA, you go like, oh, what's God going to do about that? No, it makes God all the more magnanimous. Because, oh, Lord, that's how you did it. That's how you got the code. How extraordinary. It's all written in the DNA. We don't know where the code came from, but it's recorded in the DNA. So human discovery doesn't take anything away from God. It just helps us to see the glories of His creation. That's what it's all about. So when it says in John chapter 1, that Jesus created all things. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and everything came into being through Him. This is why we bow at the feet of Jesus Christ who's given his life for us that God who created all of this would love us enough to give his life for us. That's the beautiful message of the gospel. That's what sinner I proclaim to you today that we are commanded to believe. We are commanded by God to believe this. It is not a choice anymore. It says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 23, this is his commandment. This is His commandment, that we believe on the name of His Son, Jesus Christ. It is His commandment, the very one who says, let this happen, let it be, and it has to happen. That very one said, we are commanded to believe, in 1 John 3.23, commanded to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, that He is the Son of God. His name is Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word. You are gracious and holy and righteous. And Father, I pray that you get hold of these young people's hearts here. That they would take hold of your word and trust your word. Father, that the grace of God would fill them. And Father, I pray that you'd so work on their hearts that they would not judge the servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, they would not judge the servant of another because that servant will stand 
because the Lord is able to make them stand. And Father, I pray that you take them and you make them strong in your word and you give them a love for the word of God because your word is true. And Father, I pray for those here who do not know you, that you would break through to their hearts. Father, draw them to Jesus, I pray. Break through to their hearts for the glory of Jesus and in his name. Break through to their hearts. Father, your mercies and your grace abound. Lord, we thank you and we praise you for your gracious hand upon us. Praise be to your name. Thank you, Lord Jesus, because all of this was created through you. You are the word and you were in the beginning with God and all things have been created by you. Praise be to your name for the glory of Jesus. Amen.